right? He, uh, he said, 10 pages back, and I was really struggling. And I thought, I thought, man, I, he, he must not know that there are three types of people in this world, three types. There's those who can count and those who cannot. Three types of people. I don't know where, where I fall in that, but um, Romans chapter number 7, Romans chapter number 7, we continue in our, our latter half of the chapter. We looked at the first two parts of the, the chapter, and I thought I wrote them down, and I did not, uh, but it has to do with uh, uh, the law. I remember the law was mentioned, and I, I wrote the two points down, and I did not put them in my notes here. Um, but nonetheless, tonight we're going to look at every believer's conflict. Now, we have a lot of young people in here that are uh, here, and they're going to have play practice after church. And uh, all the young people, I want you to listen to me just for a minute. I'm, a, I'm an easy preacher to take notes from. I'll give you point one, point two, and point three. So if you take a piece of paper and you take a pen, and instead of drawing a picture, you write down uh, the text, Romans chapter 7, and, and, uh, and then when I say point one, you can write that down, all right? And that will help you uh, be able to pay attention and keep track of what's going on. And I will try and make it uh, simple. I, when I, I remember my dad always saying, uh, when you preach, he said, do this. He said, make sure you put the cookies on the bottom shelf. He said, that way everyone can get one. All right, and so sometimes we tend to put the cookies up high and uh, only the adults can reach them. Uh, but he said, put all the cookies on the the kids can get some as well. And so I'm going to attempt to do that uh, this evening. It's chapter number seven. And I want to give you a little reassurance of your salvation tonight as we look at this. If you're truly born again, and if you're, um, if you're truly born again, if you're saved, you are going to struggle with sin. Isn't that a blessing? Um, the lost people, they don't struggle with sin. I'll tell you that. It doesn't bother them. You heard Brother Sam preach, and he said, he said this, is, this is the pattern of the lost people. This is how, he said, I, he flies all the time, and he said, this is basically people's life. You know, they go to work all week, and then on the weekend, they're going to get stoned or high or drunk, uh, and then they're going to wait a day to, to rest it all off, and then they're going to go to work the next uh, Monday, and they're going to do the same thing every single week. I'll tell you this, that lost people, they, it does not bother them to sin. It doesn't bother them to do what's wrong. They have no, uh, no qualms with that. And so if you're saved and you struggle with that, that is a good indication that you are saved. Uh, because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and he, does not, uh, he doesn't want you to be comfortable doing what is wrong. And so uh, there's that idea there. Now, let me say this as well, because some people have been taught uh, morality. Many, maybe that is gone by the wayside in today's society, uh, but I think there's probably still some out there uh, that are, by and large, moral people. In other words, their mom and dad taught them uh, that they're not to lie or they're not to steal, or they're teaching them those things. And so therefore, uh, they, when they do something like that, they are conflicted with those thoughts because they're like, oh man, if my mom found out about this, I'd be in big trouble. I mean, uh, many, many people are, are raised like that. And so they do have that struggle within them. But 
their mom or their dad had not instilled into them those morals and that conscience, then uh, they would not struggle with that. Uh, It would not be a problem for them. And so the world does not struggle with morality and sin, uh, but, but certainly a Christian does. Look with me in Romans chapter number 7 and verse number 14. The Bible says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not, For what I would, that I do not, but what I hate, that I do. Wow, there's a uh, circular verse for you. Uh, Go ahead and memorize that, all right? And uh, and it's kind of a tongue twister. Verse number 16. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And, uh, and let's have a word of prayer before we get into the message this evening. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for your word that we can read, that we can study, and God, that we can uh, certainly understand. Uh, God, I pray that you'd help us to understand this conflict, help us to understand, God, our struggle with sin that we have in our life on a regular basis. And God, I pray even more so than helping us to understand that, that you would help us to have the victory over sin in our lives, Father, and that we We could live uh, a life that would be uh, honoring and glorifying you. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We are often tempted to think that because we sin, uh, we are not saved. And sometimes we would think, man, uh, what is wrong with me? I must, be, uh, I must not be saved. But I would remind you that this chapter was written under the inspiration of God by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul and the disciples, they were not perfect men by any stretch of the imagination. But I have a high esteem for those who have given their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was one of those. Matter of fact, we can read many accounts of him being beaten and being thrown in prison for merely preaching the gospel. It's not like he was uh, doing wrong, and so I have a high esteem, and I believe that some of those people who have paid the price of a martyr's death and died for the cause of Christ, I personally would kind of tend to put them a little higher maturity level uh, than many other people, even myself in my own life. I would say, man, they they have suffered and and done things, uh, they have suffered for the cause of Christ in a way that I never have. And uh, it's not that I, I wouldn't want to. I don't, I'm not saying, oh, let's go find a place where I can suffer for Christ. But you and I have not been put in those conditions as of yet. And so we ought to thank God for the liberty that we do have. Uh, but I do tend to look up to them with high regard because of the price that they have paid. And when I, when I think of them, 
And then I think of the Apostle Paul saying, those things that I would do, I do not. And those things that I would not do, those things I do. You can see the conflict that the Apostle Paul had in his own life as a Christian. And so uh, I find that uh, as a, a help to me as a believer saying, well, if the Apostle Paul struggled, then listen, in this lifetime, we're going to struggle. That's not to say we should throw in the towel and give up. Uh, we will still strive. We ought to strive. But I want you to notice just three things out of this passage that we're going to pull up. The first and foremost that we can see that's very evident in this passage is the dwelling sin. Uh, in other words, sin dwells within us. We've often said many times, uh, I've said in preaching, when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. And He does. But newsflash, you still have the flesh that you had before. You still have those, uh, the fleshly desires that existed. Everyone take, uh, take your hand and, uh, and pinch your skin right there. You feel that? You pinch it and you feel, don't bruise yourself because then you say, man, what are they doing down there at that church? But if you pinch it, it hurts and you say, you know what, that's your flesh. That's your body. You, as long as you have that body, you will struggle with sin uh, because we are corrupt by nature. Did you know, uh, and I know I've said this many times and the Apostle Paul has dealt with this, that we are born sinners. Nobody has to teach a child how to lie. Matter of fact, we do the opposite. We teach children not to lie. Nobody has to teach a child to steal. They, they naturally will want to grab things that are not theirs. They will naturally want to cover up. They naturally uh, become selfish. And, and I've used this illustration many times. You, give, uh, you have three or four kids uh, in a room and you give one a cookie or you give one a, uh, $5. You have to up. It's no longer a dollar. Kids don't care about a dollar anymore. Uh, maybe $10. I don't know. Uh, but you give, a, you give a kid some money. And all the other kids are like, I want that money. Why do you get that money? I should get money. And, uh, and they're all selfish by nature. We all are. And that's what the Bible says. Paul dealt with that. He said in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. By the way, that's why we need a Savior. Because we are lost in sin. And our flesh is a, uh, a host of corruption and of sin. And so we see the corruption of our flesh. But I want you to see the changing. Save your spot here in, in, in Romans chapter number 7. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 51, the Bible says this. He, he's teaching about a, uh, a mystery that's going to come about. In Roman, or 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. What's he talking about? He's talking about when Jesus Christ comes back. And the sleep that he's mentioning, I find this interesting, but many times in Scripture, when he's talking about a believer, instead of referring to death as death, he refers to death as sleep. In other words, hey, that person is going to rise again. 
And, uh, and it's often, it's used that way in Scripture. So he's saying, listen, we're not all going to die. Uh, and he's talking about a mystery that's going to take place. He said, but we shall all be changed, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So then this so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. What on earth is he talking about? He's talking about when Jesus Christ comes again. And he mentioned at the last trump, when the trump of God shall sound. And listen, the trump of God is going to sound. And, uh, and, and there will be a trumpet. And, and listen, all of us that are saved, all of us that are born again, we're going to be out of here. Now, I don't know if it's, uh, the Bible says it's in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be instantaneous. Okay, we're not going to slowly just kind of start raising up from our seats and then all of a sudden pass through. No, it's going to be instantaneous. Um, now, I don't know. These are questions you'll get answered when you get to heaven. I don't know if we're going to leave holes in the roof. I don't know how it's going to take place, but I know this. We're gone. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, what's, wh how things are going to be, but I do know this. The Bible's very clear that we are going to be called out of here. And at that moment, the Bible says we are going to be changed. It said at least two times, probably three times in our text. What does that mean? He said our corruptible. What's our corruptible? It's this flesh must put on incorruptible. And all you, you people who wear glasses, and I'm one of you, I just wear contact lenses, praise the Lord, you won't need them anymore. I get up in the morning and everything's blurry. I'm like, I, gotta, I tell my, my, my kids, i got to go put my eyeballs in. I can't see anything. At night, I take my eyeballs out. That's what I tell them. It's just contact lenses. But, uh, uh, but, but listen, you won't need that anymore. But better than that, better than the physical ailments that we deal with, and, and by the way, those will all be taken care of as well. Amen to that. Amen? I mean, we, we look forward to those days. But better than the physical ailments we feel, there will be no more temptation of the flesh. Whatever it is that ails you, uh, sin-wise and temptation-wise, whatever it is that, that tends to draw you away, uh, listen, that will be converted into incorruptible, the Bible says. And so therefore our body will be changed and we look forward to that day of, of, of completed salvation, if I can say it that way, when we are no longer faced with temptation. But as long as we live here on this earth, we find that, hey, we do have temptation. Back in our text in Romans, chapter 7, we find the dwelling of sin. Look with me in verse 17. He says, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Look at verse number 18. For I know that is in, my, in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Look with me at verse number 20. He says, now if I do that I would, 
not, it is no more I that do it, it is sin that dwelleth in me. So if there's one thing for sure, it is that sin dwells within our flesh. And we have a corrupt flesh. But praise the Lord, that flesh is going to be changed. But we see the conflict. Look with me at verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Listen, every time you want to do good, and sometimes when you strive to do good, there is always temptation. There is always some kind of obstacle that wants to keep you from doing what is right. And it's just a conflict that we have. Uh, this morning, getting ready for church, and our power went out. And I'm like, how many times have, has our power gone out in our house? And I think maybe two times. I mean, it's been very, very little. Especially it wasn't storming. There was nothing. And I'm like, and on a Sunday morning, our power goes out. Crazy. Um, right after revival service on, uh, on Wednesday night, uh, the, at 3 o'clock in the morning, it would have been Thursday morning, my wife and I, we got a phone call and, and the fire alarm's going off at the church and we rushed down to the church and the firemen were here and, and praise the Lord, it, didn't, it wasn't anything. I'm just saying, there's always going to be opposition uh, that, that comes up in your life and when you attempt great things for God, expect to face opposition in your life. And many times, Paul, he's saying, listen, I want to do good, but so many times I fail at that good. And so we have this conflict, and, and as we see that conflict, just remember these verses. Uh, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I keep my under my body and bring it into, into subjection, lest that by any means I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. He said in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's not saying because you have this conflict, you ought to give up, sit down, and say, well, it's all over, I lost the battle. No, he's saying, keep your body under subjection. Tell yourself no and continue forward. When you fall, get forgiveness and continue forward. But there is that conflict, and we do have sin that dwells within us. Look with me at verse number 22. We find not only the dwelling of sin within us, but I want you to notice the second thing. Delight in the Word. Delight in the Word. Look with me at verse number 22. He says, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. We have the delight of the word of God. Now listen, I want you to know that Paul, Paul likes to play um, word games, if I can say it that way. And so he starts off in the first part of the chapter dealing strictly with the law. And then he ends uh, towards the, this verse, at least, he, he's saying, listen, I delight in the law. And those are the kind of word puns that Paul likes to play. He kind of goes from the strict adherence of the Jewish Old Testament law to the law representing the entirety of the Word of God in this passage. And he says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. And he's saying, listen, the, the Word of God appeals to me in my spirit. And my inward man likes the Word of God. And I've said before, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we ought to have a desire 
to do what is right. We ought to have a desire uh, to read God's Word. We ought to have a desire for the things of God. Uh, I remember, I'll never forget, uh, this should be the testimony of many people, but I'll never forget at least one fella. Uh, he was telling me his testimony and, and uh, he said, man, he said, my, uh, my life was a disaster. And uh, he said, I, I, I had a buddy who worked with me. And, and one day I asked him, I said, hey, you want to go out drinking with us tonight? And, and he said, no, I, I don't do that. And he said, he said, there's something different about you. He said, I tell you what, on break time, why don't you come down to my office? We'll talk about it. He said, okay. And so uh, during break time, he went down to his office and, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, what did you want to talk about? And he said, he reached in his drawer and he, he opened it up and he pulled out a Bible and he put it on his desk. And my friend said, I should have known he was a Bible thumper. I should have known there was something different about his life. And, uh, and he said he, he witnessed to me and, and he got saved. And he said, uh, he said, after I got saved, he said, you know what? He said, I knew I needed to be in church. He said, I went home. He said, I told my wife. Uh, she said, uh, she said are, are we going to go out drinking? And, and he said, no, we're not doing that. And she said, what's going on? And he said, you know what? He said, we're going we're gonna to find a church and we're going to go to church this Sunday. And she thought, we haven't gone to church in years. We're going to go to church tonight? And, uh, and she's thinking, listen, there's something different about this guy. Listen, when the Holy Spirit moves into your life, there ought to be a change. There ought to be a desire that says, hey, I desire the things of God. That's not saying that you will always do the right things in your life, but there ought to be something in your life that says, hey, I want to live for God. I want to read the Word of God. I want to be in church and listen to the preaching of the Word of God. Why? Because uh, listen, God has changed our life and he gave us a new desire. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And there's a newness in our life at salvation. And that new man inside of us desires to do what's right. And when we do sin, uh, listen, it, it bothers us. It ought to bother us. We ought to say, and I, I know I'm not doing right. And it ought to bother us. It ought to not set well with us. There ought to be something inside of us that says, man, this is just not right. And it's the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And the Bible says, listen, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so when you trust him as your savior, he comes and lives within you. The Bible giving us a whole list of, of things in, in 1 Thessalonians, it says this, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And it goes on and it says, Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Now, I, I don't know, you know, the word quench means to put out. You ever see uh, my brother, we, we would have a candle and we'd like to play with that candle and burn things and, you know, stick stuff in it and, and, uh, and things like that. And, 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 and then I would blow stuff out because I was chicken. I mean, I'm not going to, I know better than to touch fire. And my brother, he'd reach over there and he'd go whoosh, and pinch it. And I thought, he's crazy. And I didn't know, but he used to turn around and lick his fingers before he did that, okay? I, I didn't know that, um, and, and I thought, I ain't doing that. And, and, and what he was doing is he was quenching that fire. 
And listen, quenching the fire, uh, quenching the Spirit, is when you continually tell the Spirit no in your life. And when the Spirit says, hey, you ought to do this, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And the Spirit says, you ought to do this. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And eventually you get so accustomed to telling the Spirit no in your life that you quench the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life. And that's something that we ought not do. And, and when we do that, we have less of a conflict and we actually end up living a very worldly life without much of the uh, Holy Spirit interfering. Why? Because we already know we're wrong. And we've quenched the Spirit. We've silenced Him in our life. And we just tuned Him out and we no longer listen to Him. And so listen, we ought to delight in the Word. Uh, the Bible says in Psalms 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the, of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. There's nothing like taking the Word of God. And just sitting down and saying, what does this mean? And study the Word of God. And think about, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a preacher to sit down and understand the Word of God. There's, uh, there's plenty of testimonies of people who sit down and they study and they read the Word of God and they say, no, I don't understand this. And you know what? If you ask God, the Bible says that, that if we're lacking wisdom, we can ask God and He'll help us. But we ought to have a delight in the Word of God. I find it amazing that the psalmist wrote so much about the Word of God. In, in Psalm 119, it is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it's all about the Word of God. Matter of fact, there's only, if I remember right, three or five verses that do not mention the law or the commandments or uh, the Word of God in some form or fashion. Every other verse of 150 or 150, 176 verses, if I'm not mistaken, all mention the Word of God minus three or five or something of that nature. And he says this in Psalm 119 in verse number nine. He says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And he says, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. In other words, it's not just reading the word of God. It's taking heed to the word of God and saying, you know what? I want to apply this to my life and I want to live a good life. You know what amazes me most? When Psalm 119 was written, they didn't have the completed word of God. They had no New Testament books. I don't know how much of the Old Testament they had. Uh, there were probably missing many, uh, many prophetic books. And I can tell you this, he was penning the Psalms, so they weren't written either yet. But he said, the Word of God is something that he loves. The Word of God is something that ought to be uh, heeded so that it will clean your life and taking heed thereunto. He goes on and says in verse 10, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. In verse 11 he says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. We're talking about taking delight in the Word of God. Our flesh, in our flesh, dwells sin. But taking delight in the Word of God will help us to overcome that flesh. Not only that, can we see that here in Romans chapter 7, he takes delight. We can see the dwelling of sin. But I want you to notice as well, 
Look with me at verse number 24. He says, O wretched man that I am, Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? In other words, he's saying, my sin is going to drag me to the, it's going to be the death of me. He says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh, the law of sin. And he's saying, listen, who's going to deliver me? And he expresses his gratitude in verse number 25 uh, through Jesus Christ. Listen, it's clear in the Bible over and over again, how many times have we mentioned it in the book of Romans, that Jesus Christ is the only way of saving people. He didn't say joining a church would save people. He didn't say baptism would save people. He didn't say that good works would save people. He didn't say that giving money to the church would save people. He didn't say that any of those things. He's constantly expressing gratitude through Jesus Christ for salvation. And deliverance comes with salvation. Go back to Romans chapter 6 with me and look at verse number 11. And we covered this in Romans chapter 6, but look with me again in Romans 6, verse, chapter 6, verse number 11. He says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin. In other words, when temptation comes along, you can tell yourself, I don't want to do that. You know what? I would rather live for God than to fall into sin. And he says, reckon or account yourself as dead unto that sin. He goes on in verse number 13. Look at what he says there. He says, neither yield ye your instruments or your members, excuse me, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And what's the instruments he's talking about? He's talking about your hands. He's talking about your eyes. He's talking about your ears. He's talking about your feet. He's talking about your tongue, which is probably one of the hardest instruments to keep under control and keep under subjection. That's what he says in the book of James. But using our tongue for the good of edifying and lifting people up and helping people and encouraging people to read the Word of God and study the Word of God and turn their life over to God is something that is a good use. And he's saying, listen, yield or give your instruments, your hands, your mouth, your ears, your eyes, your feet, and yourself to be used of God instead of for sin. And salvation gives us deliverance from the penalty of that sin. But I want you to notice as well, I wouldn't leave you there, because look with me in Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 1. The, the chapter marks were added later, and he kind of continues, Paul continues on here, and look what he says there in verse number 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know what he's saying? He's saying simply that you would, that you would uh, in your life, 
you would say, I want to walk after Jesus Christ. I don't want to walk after my flesh. You, you know what you have to do to walk after your flesh? Nothing. Get up in the morning, live how you want, do whatever, whatever comes to mind, and, and go where you want, and, and think what you want, and act how you want, and say what you want, and, and there's absolutely no, uh, no restriction there. But you know how you walk after Jesus Christ? You say, God, what would you have me do today? And, and when some bad thought comes into mind, you say, you know what? I know God would not want me to think those thoughts. I want to have a clean mind before God. And when you're tempted to say something that maybe you shouldn't say, uh, as my grandmother used to say or my mom used to say, bite your tongue and then say, ouch, afterwards. Sometimes it hurts. And sometimes it's hard to keep it in. And, and say, God, help me to use the right words that would be edifying to other people. Help me to use words that would be good. Help me to uh, do good works and submission to the Holy Spirit uh, will have us walking uh, after the Spirit and not after the flesh. The Bible says in Ephesians, go with me over to Ephesians real quick, chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll, we'll close with this. Galatians, Ephesians. Chapter number five. And he says, look with me in verse number two. He says he talks a lot about walking after the spirit uh, and walking in the spirit. Ephesians chapter five and verse number two. Look with me there. He says, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And we ought to walk, as it says, in love, as Christ loved us. Look with me at verse number 8. For ye were sometimes... For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Look with me at verse number 15. He says, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And he goes on and on uh, talking about walking uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know how you do that? You simply say, God, help me to walk right. Help me to live right. When you get up in the morning, say, God, I want to walk in a way that would be pleasing to you. Now, I want to walk in a way that would be edifying to you. And, and maybe, maybe you struggle with your tongue more than anything else. Say, God, help me to control my tongue. Maybe you struggle with your thoughts more than anything else. Maybe you struggle with, uh, with, with other things or hands or, or, or your ears or uh, listening to things or things of that nature. And you have to say, God, help me uh, to honor you with my life and not be drawn away with temptation because in our life, there is this conflict. Paul had it, and you're going to have it. And you'll struggle with that conflict the rest of your life. How, how do you overcome it? Well, you'll never be perfect until that trumpet sounds and we're changed. But you can do the best you can, and you can deny yourself. And you can take and walk, as the Bible says, after the Spirit, in the Spirit. And say, God, help me to live my life in accordance to your work. And we find deliverance. He talked about that in Romans chapter 6. He said, hey, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive unto Christ. 
And he said, walk after the spirit, yield your members under the spirit and not under sin. And so uh, all of these things are, are ways that we can uh, help us to be delivered from the, our flesh because that sin dwells within us. And so we have the dwelling of sin that's in us. We have delighting in the word, take the word of God and read it and study it. And then we have uh, the deliverance from that by submitting ourselves to God in our life and saying, God, help me. And you know what? Even as a child, even as a young person, you can say, God, help me to do right. Even as a from from young people all the way through your whole life, you'll probably have to ask God every day, God, help me me to do right. It's not going to come automatic, but if we work at it, and if we ask God to help us, and we constantly submit to God, hey, we can live a life that would be honoring and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you know that? You look at Paul's life. Was he perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. He said that. He struggled. But I tell you what, I don't know of a more dedicated man of God than the Apostle Paul. Wrote most of the New Testament Serve the Lord with, in my opinion, every fiber of his being and every, every ounce of time that he had. Just poured himself out for the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. What advice he gives that we would walk in the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't tell the Spirit no. Tell the Spirit yes. And ask him to help you. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. The conflict. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, I, I don't have a conflict in me. I, I'm totally, I, I don't struggle with that at all. Maybe you need to be saved and ask the Lord to be your Savior. Maybe you're here and there's some other need. And you'd just like to ask God to help you and strengthen you. Whatever the need. Father, we ask that you would speak to hearts. We ask that you'd help us. God, we're but humble people in need of your strength and of, in need of your help to live a life that's right, live a life that's honoring and glorifying to you. God, I pray that you'd help us as Christians, help us to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Help us to say no to self. And help us to honor and glorify you with our life. We'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you're here and you need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. If you'd come and get my attention, we'd be more than happy to have somebody show you how you can know for sure that you're saved. Maybe it's something else that you just like to thank God for the evidence of your salvation. Listen, a lot of times we think of the conflict in ourselves as a negative thing. But in reality, you know you're saved because you struggle. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And He convicts you of sin. Whatever the need.